Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 228, Exploring Your Macros and Meal Planning. In today's episode, we are going to dig into metabolic flexibility within the ketogenic diet and we'll distinguish between a low glycemic approach to eating that supports blood sugar balance, but might lose access to some of the benefits of ketosis versus getting the most out of your metabolic flexibility while still producing ketones. Yes, I think that this is such a great topic and Becky and I love living in this space of metabolic flexibility often challenging the keto pie charts and macro calculators out there and getting some anti-keto people into keto believers when they realize all of the diversity and goodness that they can bring into their diet while still producing ketones. And today, not to mention, we'll of course be digging into meal planning content. And this is such a common ask that Becky and I get, maybe even more so now that I've been off of Instagram for a little bit. So I'm not sharing as much of my, you know, weeknight meal prep shots, but that will all be back probably by the time this episode airs. Um, So today we will be though talking about our weekly flow that each of us do, how it's evolved over time, and just the thought process that we use in each of our households, as well as sharing recommendations and our favorite weekly staples. Yes. So a little bit of nerdy stuff and a lot of kind of helpful tips and tricks, if you will. Tips and tricks. Speaking of of tips and tricks, (laughs) um, have you guys subscribed to our YouTube channel where we share all the tips and tricks? Yes. I definitely would make sure that you do that. In today's episode, we're kind of driving on the heels of that video that we did. Uh, Now part two is out on the bright side of keto. So we'll talk a little bit today on sirtuins and mTOR and some nerdy stuff, but go on over to the Jillian Michaels rebuttal part two, the bright side of keto, where you will see us doing it with some more sass. And um, most definitely also be sure that you all are subscribed to the Naturally Nourished newsletter. When you do that, you get a two-week food as medicine meal plan, as well as functional medicine information and discounts and such. And um, we just had a really fun promo with Relax and Regulate. That was a flash sale that did really well a couple weeks back. And we will be doing those every two weeks. So those are for newsletter subscribers only. Be sure to join to get that. And for those of you that were listening or were subscribers around the Valentine's time, we released another Brady Miller playlist, uh, which the Valentine's playlist is probably up there in my top ones. Uh, So we're just doing a lot of fun stuff in the newsletter that we aren't necessarily doing on social media platforms and uh, a way that if you love the podcast and our voices, you can just kind of get a different taste, a different um, delivery of all that we have to support you guys with. Yes. That playlist was like someone made me a (laughs) mixtape. Yeah. It's got, I mean, from Elvis to, I don't know, all sorts of good stuff. Yeah. 
really Throwbacks good. and really current good. and a lot of singer-songwriter vibes. Yep. Yes. Uh, and then I just want to note if you're into today's episode and you want to get a little bit deeper of a dive, Becky and I did an episode 153 called Metabolic Flexibility and the New Age of Keto. And that's where we first kind of talked about this concept of, you know, where is the myopic relationship of low carb equals keto? And can you have banana? Can you have dates? Can you have maple syrup and still be on a quote unquote ketogenic diet? All right, so let's go into metabolic flexibility first. Um, And maybe actually within this conversation, let's also break down macros. Totally. So the idea of metabolic flexibility takes on this approach of this hybrid functionality of a body being able to thrive on both ketones and a low regulated level of blood sugar or glucose. And the idea of metabolic flexibility provides the freedom to expand from a rigid classic ketogenic diet of less than 30 grams of total carbs in a day to upwards of 75, 90 grams of carbs in some individuals. And if talking about a woman that's 125 pounds and, you know, kind of my structure and activity factor that might look like 60 grams of carbs, which is quite liberating. That means that you could include like a starchy vegetable plus two to three fruits or two fruits and two starchy vegetables daily and maybe even incorporate like a baked good with nut flour and still be in a fat adapted state. Totally. Um, And then metabolic flexibility would also take into account things like our body composition as well as metabolic handicaps. So let's talk about that. Yes. So body composition, the big thing we're looking at is how much muscle tissue is on the individual. And so I often love to think of my friend Danny Vega, and he's done such cool experiments in the world of metabolic flexibility where he's testing his ketones, eating 150 grams of sushi rice and things like that, and still producing ketones. Well, he's a beast. He's got a lot of muscle mass. (laughs) I don't know how many pounds of muscle mass, but... I would guesstimate over a hundred pounds of muscle. Mass. Definitely, probably, a yep. couple, yeah, maybe even, yeah. I don't even know. Um, so body composition is huge, and muscle tissue. We have to think that this kind of bypasses the insulin signaling system. So our metabolically active tissue of our muscle mass is able to take glucose directly into the sh- cells. And um, for an individual that is doing a lot of glycolytic activity, um, you know, their body is trained and adapted to more utilization of glucose on the muscle tissue. So body composition, both the amount of muscle mass you have is going to give you more metabolic flexibility, as well as on the other hand of the spectrum, if you have a higher amount of body fat, you likely have more metabolic handicap uh, because we do know that increased adipose tissue, especially the visceral fat, uh, can drive a lot of insulin resistance, which means that you know you would require higher levels of insulin to get glucose into the cells. And this means that glucose levels will likely stay elevated at a lower amount of carbohydrate when compared to a otherwise similar weight and height individual that doesn't have that insulin resistance. 
So we have to consider things like body composition on the latter end of excessive body fat. We have to consider just insulin resistance as a whole. So if we know that that individual has elevated fasted insulin levels or a history of diabetes, these are all things that would hinder their metabolic flexibility. And then there's genetic factors as well. You know, an individual that would have like a genetic pathway on the glucose transporter type one, uh, you know, they're going to have some inborn errors of metabolism, which are going to drive more handicap in their ability of metabolic flexibility or less flexibility, if you will. They'll have to stay at a tighter carbohydrate threshold to be able to use ketones as fuel. So when we look at our macros in this world, um, and, and I also want to note actually stress is the third caveat. And so, you know, this is something I talked about a lot when I wore a CGM and I know the connection of stress and, you know, the idea that cortisol as a stress hormone is a glucocorticoid. And so when we have a fight or flight response, we put out higher amounts of cortisol and this can drive blood sugar response. There's also, you know, the liver will stimulate dumping glucose into the bloodstream in a fight or flight epinephrine or adrenaline surge as well. So there's a couple mechanisms that drive blood sugar response from stress. So someone that is of a higher stress level would have less metabolic flexibility likely. Um, however, as we've discussed in past episodes, ketosis itself is a hormetic stressor. So this individual might do well with a, you know, kind of moderate approach to nutritional ketosis versus very restrictive, uh, you know, long amounts of fasting because the calorie restriction or perceived starvation of the body, although it can have supportive effects for a high stress individual, could be the straw that broke the camel's back and drive more of the unfavorable blood sugar response. So stress is one of those slippery ones, I'd say, as far as metabolic flexibility. And really the best way to understand your response is through a CGM. And uh, we'll talk about that later because that's our uh, sponsor for today's episode. Okay. And then, you know, when we're looking at macros, we're going to break down carbs that we just talked about, protein, fat. So really what sets, you know, our approach apart is that we're not looking at a classic keto pie chart of four to one or that like four grams of fat to one gram of combined carbs and protein. Right. Which is super restrictive. And I think that that's why keto in some sense gets a really bad rap because a lot of the epilepsy and, uh, you know, deep neurological research using nutritional ketosis is using these four to one formulas, like in a hospital setting through like feeding um, programs, you know? And so when they're using this type of a diet to regulate in the pediatric department epilepsy, four grams of fat to every one combined gram of carb and protein is substantial. And remember that, you know, each gram of fat holds nine calories where a gram of carbs or protein holds four. So it's quite a remarkable, that's why when you look at this pie chart, you know, you, you can see fat at over 85% of the macro calorie distribution and a very different model for individuals that don't have that neurological need and want to approach some metabolic flexibility or get the benefit of producing light nutritional ketones and still um, you know, having more variety or diversity within their diet. So really when we're looking at macros, what I think sets apart our program is that we are typically higher protein mm -hmm. than most. Um, I have just seen clinically such pitfalls of 
protein malnourishment or low protein intake. And I think some of the main ones that we think of, Becky, are like brain fog. Uh, so where you felt really like cognitive clarity with keto and then all of a sudden you like hit a wall. Sure. I think that that often is low protein intake. Um, we can see hair loss with low protein intake. We can, of course, see muscle weakness or aching with low protein intake. And I think that the misinformation is rooted with this very classical keto approach where they're concerned about transamination in a fed, a feeding program through like tube feed or uh, formula feeding. And um, the concern with that is they're using protein isolates as their source of protein in some of those studies. Um, and that's typically not going to be the case when we're eating whole food protein-based foods like our meats, our fish, our um, eggs and such, because these are complex whole foods that aren't just isolates. Yep. I'll often see people come into our keto program where they've calculated their macros like with an online calculator and found like 45 to 50 grams to be their protein needs. And I'm like, no, 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 stop right now. Let's recalculate. Let's actually like look at your, you know, grams per kilogram need. Uh, and we're looking more like minimum of, of one gram per kilogram. Right. And so, you know, to get your body weight in kilograms, you're taking your weight on the scale divided by 2.2. And so, you know, if we're generally talking about an individual that's around 150 pounds, then we're going to want to be ensuring that they're getting over 60 grams of protein. And if you're looking for active weight loss and metabolic change, you're likely to want to go higher to that 1.2 to 1.4 gram per kilogram because you want to feed the metabolically active tissue and you want to go into your body fat as the deep freezer or the reserves, if you will, to liberate your body fat as fuel versus force feed the fat. Um, and so it really depends on your goals. But when we're looking at nutritional ketosis for body composition change, for a sustainable diet of being more ancestral and functioning as the way that I really believe the body was designed to function and as this hybrid, if you will, then I think that that opens up a whole world and we don't have to protein restrict. And again, I tend to see a lot of people with protein malnourishment. And even in our group, we're now, we just had class three of our 12 week virtual food as medicine ketosis program. The next group starts in May. So mark your calendars if you haven't participated, but that's like the like arm wrestle. I think that Becky and I do with some of the like keto vets. They're like, mm -hmm. no, no, no. I did. I, I followed your um, protocol and the calculations, but I do have to override the protein because it's not going to do well for me. And we're like, well, you should just trust the protocol though and like try it. And then granted four weeks in, most people are like, oh my gosh, I'm finally seeing results. Right. Right. Um, so I think that that's a big thing to watch out for. Yeah. That's often kind of a, a lever that we'll tweak is let's bump your protein up and then bump your fat down a little bit. Um, and I think that's an equally important piece to call out is, you know, we talk about this all the time that too much fat can drive stress to the liver. It can drive estrogen dominance or hormonal imbalance. Um, and it can hinder our weight loss and metabolic shift. Right. Um, like I said, you know, if you're overfeeding fat, you're not going to be liberating and seeing that body composition change that you're looking to achieve. Um, and I would also say when we're more flexible on the world of carbohydrate intake as the, the final, you know, macro of approach, 
that allows us the phyto compounds and uh, the plant-based antioxidants and fibers that can help to sequester what's liberated in that fat loss or breaking of fat through lipolysis. So when you do cleave your body fat to make metabolic change, remember that you're kind of airing out the dirty laundry or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're, you're liberating something that was held on your body and often toxins are sequestered in our body fat. As you mentioned, Becky, you know, we can see estrogenic because our, our adipose tissue themselves can function in an estrogenic level. And so I really do see, for instance, with like long-term keto carnivore, that being a big pitfall, lacking that flexibility of carbohydrate. And so when we bring in things like the chia seed, when we bring in things like the um, more liberated amounts of vegetables with the Eindol 3 carbonyls uh, in the cruciferous family to aid in that estrogen metabolism. Uh, and we're getting Brussels and broccoli and cauliflower. When we're getting those leafy greens daily, we're regulating that stress access with the magnesium, which also helps to maintain that healthy metabolic flexibility. So I, I just feel that when we're focusing on whole real foods and we're able to explore what amount of dial we can turn that threshold of carb intake while still getting the magic of ketosis, there can just be so many benefits that go beyond the initial body composition or mental clarity world. Totally. Um, so yeah, let's, let's jive a little bit more on, on maybe some of those benefits of you know, choices and types of carbs and how, you know, that can ultimately create more food freedom and and some of the other benefits. Yeah. I mean, so I think the first thing that often people forget when they come into like any form of a diet protocol is why they're doing it. (laughs) Like they go right into that doctrine and the why starts to become the title of the diet versus the outcomes that they approach the diet for in the first place. Uh, So like, again, if you're doing keto for fertility, if you're doing keto for body comp change, then like, is the why to get the highest ketones you can on your blood meter? Or is the why Mm -hmm. (laughs) to regulate your menstrual cycle? Or is the why to, um, you know, see the shift within how your pants are fitting you? Or is the why to reduce inflammation in your body? Well, then we want to also look into the elements of connection of nutrients of microbiome, um, of the emotional and mental element. I can't tell you how many people can take such a Richter scale shift of initially experiencing this liberation from past history of dieting when they do nutritional ketosis. They, you know, especially if they're not doing non-caloric sweeteners, if they're doing a whole food, real food keto approach, they start to experience a lack of cravings and food freedom but then they can take that dial too aggressive where then all of a sudden they're obsessing and worrying about, and I like to joke, like if you're stressing about celery, mm-hmm. <laughs> then that's not the emotional mental freedom that you came in this for. Um, so I think we have to constantly just kind of toggle and recalibrate and check in with ourselves. And, um, you know, we can see this approach of getting more diversity in the diet 
which means, again, having um, the ability to maybe eat seasonally and locally, which is a great sustainable environmental approach, um, having the ability to incorporate more uh, therapeutic nutrients strategically. So if you're looking for longevity or anti-aging, you know, how are you incorporating things like EGCG um, or pomegranate um, and uh, resveratrol? Um, I think that there is always a way to level up your approach of metabolic flexibility and, and nutritional ketosis. But this construct of using ongoing adaptable levers is really what allows you to make sure that it continues to work for and serve you. Yep. And I think that was a really good point that the why you are doing keto in the first place may make your keto look really different than the keto of other people. And it's kind of an eyes on your own plate, like stay in your area of focus, um, And then let's talk um, a little bit more on figuring out, you know, what works best for your body and how much is is too much. So how do you know? Um, Because I think we get this question all the time of like, is this really working? Um, How did these macros look? And I I always come back to that person on our Slack and I say, well, how do you feel in your body? Like, are you hitting your goals? How do you actually feel? Yeah, I think, right. So again, is is the idea to get results or to get ketones? And I think that we want to troubleshoot if you're getting no ketones produced. Uh, but again, the body is adaptive and the body wants to survive, not spill excess ketones. So the higher, the better is not an appropriate uh, alignment as far as goals when we're looking at blood ketones or even breath ketones because an excess could mean that your body's not thrifty it doesn't have functional utilization um, or it could be that you're overfeeding with mm-hmm. mct oil or you know cheating the system using exogenous ketones where you're just basically putting the compound into your body through a bhb product um, and then you're just testing for that presence of that compound Um, I think it's really always about kind of toggling out how you feel. And I think connecting blood sugar metabolism is an important part of the story. And I am a big fan. Like I said, I think CGM is like the end all be all. I'll, you know, allow the ad space to do its thing with NutriSense. But I, I just think time and time again, that rather than cherry picking your data and looking at just your glucose, of your fasted glucose first thing in the morning because that's going to give an indicacy of how your liver metabolized your blood sugar as you slept. Um, and then the postprandial, meaning you know one to two hours after consumption of meal time to see how your insulin sensitivity or insulin signaling responded to the amount of carbohydrate intake. That can definitely help you to determine your carbohydrate threshold. So you could just use a glucometer and you could just test postprandial and fasted blood sugar levels. You could also use a ketone blood meter and test ketone presence. Um, Generally speaking, we say to test ketones like before breaking your fast, so more like mid-morning, or you could test following a meal, um, but generally speaking, you'll get your your best outcome kind of on its own before you bring food into the the protocol. Um, But again, this is just information, and then you have to discern, how do I feel on this set amount? And I've noticed that I am someone that does not do very well on a high level of blood ketones, that will make me a little bit too excitatory, too high of a stress response. I get almost uh, buzzy and like energetic, electric, if you will, where I can feel like I'm having an epinephrine response. 
And uh, that was my biggest aha moment with the CGM was that no matter what I was doing, um, whether I was eating moderate carb or what I thought was a really high carb threshold to test my tolerance, uh, the biggest feedback I got was from stress where my blood sugar went up to 140 twice from a fight or flight chemical stress response. And so, you know, really seeing that impact and then understanding that when I actually ate more in that morning and when I was consistent with my calm and clear, that I was able to regulate that, that that, that was probably the most powerful aha to me in my current kind of evolution of, of metabolic flexibility. Um, how about you, Becky? Like thinking of when you were really tight, like around your wedding time, mm-hmm. almost five years ago, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that we've kind of jived on the postpartum time and where you're at with carb recalibration, but what have been some big like ahas for you over the last couple of years with carb intake or adjusting macros? Yeah. I think when I get super tight, I get that initial like buzziness as well. Like I'll start, if I start like organizing my closet or taking on some huge task around the house, like for no good reason. And I have a million other things uh, that are higher priorities. That means my ketones are, are too high. And it kind of feels um, good. It does feel but good. it's not sustainable. Um, and yeah, as someone with a history of adrenal fatigue, I find the longer I go on that tight carb control, like if it's more than a six week kind of reset, I start to feel really burned out. Um, and I also notice my electrolyte fluctuations are really, really dynamic. Like I get quite dehydrated. I need to keep kind of pounding the um, yeah. highlight or the light show electrolytes, um, doing things like coconut water. Um, so I find that actually bringing the carbs a little bit higher and kind of where I'm at even now, <laughs> most days feels really good um, on my adrenals at least. And, and I'm able to maintain like more consistent energy and that may change and shift. Um, you know, I'm planning when Noah starts eating solids, um, to actually do the CGM, um, and tighten up a little bit and see how that feels. And I probably around that time will be incorporating more, um, resistance training and and kind of upping the game. So that may shift and change and it may not. Um, and, and I'm still, you know, right now producing ketones on a daily basis with just, you know, breastfeeding and, light walking and, you know, eating in, in more of kind of a phase 1.5 to even phase two. Some I was days. Say, where do you guesstimate your carbs are at currently like 60 to 90? Or? Probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, and some days like tighter days when I'm in clinic and, you know, don't have time to like find the afternoon snack, um, might be more like 50 to 60 or 45 to 60 range, but I would say like 60 at, at a minimum most days. Yeah. I found that in this year, you know, the biggest dynamic where I used to do really tight carb cycling around my menstrual cycle, you know, like at that day, 19 to 20, I would do a carb up and the remainder of my cycle would be a little bit lower or tighter, probably like max 45 grams of carbs. I found the amount of stress during pandemic and just the like emotional mental response that I've been really feeling well hanging at like a 60 gram of carb normal intake, which is interesting because I haven't felt then the need. It's like, I'll notice myself mid 
like day 22 of my cycle and I'll be like, oh, I missed my carb cycle. And then I'm like, do I need to carb cycle? Mm-hmm. Because I'm already kind of hanging at like a liberated intake. And the interesting thing is I'll, I'll randomly take ketone tests and I'll be hanging at 1.2, um, 1.7. And these are days where maybe I'll have had, uh, you know, right now I have the Hue Kitchen Gems chopped up in a banana chocolate muffin that I made uh, following the banana blueberry muffins on the blog. I'll link that. So I've just been playing with subbing out the blueberries for like chopped up gems. Yum. Yeah, it's really yummy. <laughs> and in this recipe, actually, I also, this version, I added a tablespoon of uh, blackstrap molasses. Just kind of, I thought that would be a nice, more robust richness to it beyond just the mashed banana. Um, so I can have like one of those puppies and grass fed butter. And then I've even been realizing more permission of, uh, fruit consumption, which is so interesting because again, it's like this whole approach of exploring your macros can really help you to take out the guilt and shame that isn't appropriate with whole food eating again, you know, like the rigidity of categorizing foods is important to learn about how your body responds to foods and macros and knowing what category is this a protein, is this a fat, is this a carb, generally speaking. But at the end of the day, listening to our body and listening to the feedback that we get both on an emotional and an energetic and a blood sugar metabolism piece of the puzzle, um, I think are all really important. And I've definitely been hearing more signals from my body of like fruit is fine and I'm definitely still married to the idea of no naked carbs and ensuring that I have a fat or a protein at that time. Uh, So I might have like a tablespoon of almond butter and then eat like a small plum or something like that. And um, I've really found that to be a great balance of this metabolic flexibility without having glucose spikes or insulin irregularities and also getting more plant diversity and I guess just flavor diversity and seasonal eating, which I think is important too. Totally. Um, Yeah. Byron's been like, Hey, we never used to have fruit in the house. Like before we got married and right. (laughs) All of that. We never used to, I wouldn't even buy like berries unless someone was coming into town who was going to eat them because I wouldn't eat them. And now I eat them every day. Um, And it's great. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because even though we've been saying berries are fine, I still have that dance too, where I'm like, oh, like (laughs) last night we had a Super Bowl party and it was like, ooh, you know, um, to have four blackberries and a strawberry and eight, you know, blueberries or something like that, all, you know, really delightful and tannic and nice acidity. And again, there's... Uh, they are a low glycemic fruit and provide such uh, great nutritional benefits. And then our program, um, let's talk maybe about the phases and and, um, clarify actually, are those the same or different than the phases in your anti-anxiety diet book? But I think phases are really helpful um, just because everyone is in a a different season and we may at some point go tighter keto. It's just what kind of feels good and what's appropriate right now. Yeah. Yeah. So they are the same phases that we use in our 12 week food as medicine keto class, as well as in the anti-anxiety diet book. And, um, phase one is just that, you know, tight classic teaching the body how to access fat as fuel or how to produce ketones. And in phase one, I do override your carb intake to be less than 30 total grams. And then phase 1.5, 
opens up with abundance of non-starchy vegetables as like the first department of rigidity that releases. Uh, because in phase one, to stay at that total of 30 grams a day or less, uh, because I'm not working independently with everyone, you know, I don't know their metabolic flexibility. I don't know their level of insulin resistance. And there are individuals that really need to kind of snack their way into keto. And by that, I mean eating things like um, you know, a quality uncured salami with Marcona almonds and some olives and um, some raw aged cheese cubes and two hard boiled eggs as a lunch, right? Um, still getting, I, I do recommend the two to three cups of greens daily, but in phase one, I restrict non-starchy vegetables to a half cup in addition to the two to three cups of greens. So it's like really one meal has a half cup of non-starchy veg. And I do that strategically to really wring out the glycogen or the glucose reserves in the body. And again, teach the body to access this fat as fuel. Uh, once the individual has seen successful production of ketones and, you know, we're a good four to six weeks in, that's when we can start to see some good fat adaptation and more of time to explore this flexibility. So this is where I go into phase 1.5 and that's generally where I kind of live or pilot. But like I've, like Becky and I have kind of shared, I'm not sure I'm kind of now hanging in like a 1.5 to two world versus just a 1.5. Um, there's definitely intuitive days that I will eat at 30 grams of carbs just because I, I just feel a lower appetite. I don't want as much volume and uh, it just works out that way in the day. Uh, but phase 1.5 provides right away the opportunity to have unlimited non-starchy vegetables, also small amounts of starchy vegetables and fruits, bringing your total carbohydrates up to like 45 to 60 or so grams a day. And when we do that, um, you know, because all macros are levers, we have to be mindful of if you're going to increase your carb intake, that you're definitely going to need to dial the fat intake down. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, I keep protein consistent if we're looking for metabolic change or uh, favorable body composition maintenance, uh, because we do want to still feed the muscle mass. And um, protein is very satiating. Protein provides us all of the amino acids that support neurotransmitter balance. When we're looking at like mood in the world of the anti-anxiety diet, I'm a pretty big, again, protein proponent. Um, and so really the big lever shift is you can elevate your carb intake while you dial that, that fat down and see how you thrive. And then a phase two is generally what will kick most people out of nutritional ketosis. And so this is generally used as a carb up or a carb cycle approach for flexibility and food freedom uh, or for strategic hormone management. Um, and this is maybe even doubling where we could go upwards of 120 grams of carbs in a given day for that, you know, said individual that's progressing from like the less than 30 upwards of 60 and then upwards of kind of 60 to 120 in that phase two. But the idea of phase two is to intentionally kind of kick you out of ketosis. And that's why I'm still calling it phase one, but my mm -hmm. phase one umbrella might be shifting with the longevity of, you know, years now into nutritional keto that I'm still producing at 60, 75 grams. Sure. And it is, it's so individual and that 60 to 120 could be appropriate for like a super active, definitely a kiddo or um, teenagers who are, you know, exercising or doing sports and things like that. Yeah. And that's in fact why in the phases of the program, we won't really start unless clinically in a morbid obese category, uh, teens will start in a 1.5 mm -hmm. uh, yep. because they just 
they just typically are more active yeah. and, and activity is always recommended and we want them to have the diversity in the diet. Okay, so those are kind of the overall priorities, if you will, um, of macros at least and, and kind of what metabolic flexibility can look like. Um, but as we discussed in our recent banter on the bright side of keto countering Jillian Michaels, we also identified as a huge priority eating real whole foods as the foundation of any diet, right? Um, let's talk about that and maybe some other priorities. Yeah. So if you missed it on YouTube, again, go on over to YouTube, Naturally Nourished and subscribe. Uh, we did do an episode on the podcast talking a little bit about her, you know, counterpoints to her points-ish, I guess we could say. Uh, but one of the things we talk about in the video is that she is a investor in pop chips and pop chips are like an air popped snack that use as their second ingredient a high amount of omega-6 fatty acids. So it's safflower or sunflower oil as the second ingredient in most of the flavors. I didn't audit all of them, but <laughs> in the couple labels that I looked at. And so again, you know, it's it's I think first and foremost, whether you are exploring metabolic flexibility uh, in a ketogenic diet or you're just eating paleo or whatever you're eating, Everyone, I believe, needs to be eating a clean and ideally, you know, organic diet with clean quality sourced foods. So grass-fed, pasture-raised, wild-caught when possible and when affordable in the best in the best sense. Uh, we really, when we move into those omega-6 fatty acids, which, which we talked about in the episode, what three things that would kill, <laughs> what was it called? It was kind of aggressive title. Three things that will destroy your health. <laughs> Not that will kill you, but that will destroy your health. Yeah. Some people called it that. They were like, I left your three things that will kill you episode. And it's <laughs> like, we didn't say that. Right. <laughs> we'll link that in the episode too, yep. because we talked about, you know, even like cooking in the kitchen where they use omega-6 fatty acids, that that oxidative stress could damage to the level of your DNA. Um and it's a double-edged sword, you know? So the priorities of nutritional ketosis and why you should, um, you know, explore this world is truly, again, because I believe that the human body was designed to be in a ketogenic state or at least have access of ketones on a regular basis. Um, but nutritional ketosis and time-restricted eating are going to help us to optimize our metabolic machinery and really enhance our mitochondrial function. So when we're using ketones along with glucose, working as this hybrid machine, we're going to have better neuroinflammatory regulation. We're going to take stress off of the mTOR pathway, which we think of as an anabolic building pathway. Um, so when we're looking at cancer research and when we're looking at tumorigenic activity, we know that nutritional ketosis can actually, in some levels, inhibit mTOR. And you know, there's a lot of complicated mechanisms in these upstream pathways that can either inhibit mitochondrial complex activity or increase AMPK, respectively, which AMPK stands for AMP activated protein kinase, which is essentially a fuel sensing enzyme that's present in all mammal cells. And during exercise or fasting, you know, we'll see activation of this AMPK. So there's multiple mechanisms of how carb restriction can drive this uh, mitohormesis, if you will, 
or the ability to stimulate optimal mitochondrial reduction of neuroinflammatory pathway signaling to enhance whole body health. Okay, I can tell you're about to get nerdy. Um, so <laughs> as we're doing that, let's um, touch on the concept of mitohormesis. That's a fun word to say. What yeah. does that mean? Yeah, so mitohormesis is stressing the mitochondria for a favorable outcome. So the idea of hormesis, um, you know, kind of goes back to um, something like temperature therapy would be a hormetic response um, where like a cold plunge or sauna um, lifting a weight can be seen as a hormetic stressor so you know muscle bearing activity or exercise fasting can be a hormetic stressor and the ketogenic diet itself and so on the world of hormesis we're looking at this balance of um, you know how a stressor can stress the body to the level that it does not destroy the body, but instead makes it stronger. Like that's the easiest way I think I can explain it. That makes sense. And allostatic load yeah. is, is really what we think of as the allostatic load is the summary of the stressors that an individual takes on while still maintaining a positive, allostasis would be a positive outcome of the said stressors. So we've kind of nerded out on that in past episodes, and that's where I say you have to think of your stressors as like a wardrobe. And so you can't just layer on all the new kids on the block of like what the sexy stressors are of this season, you know, of like, again, fasting, temperature therapy, X, Y, Z, because that means that you could throw your allostatic load mm -hmm. off. And that's where I'm kind of looking at with this last year of the stress that I've taken out with pandemic, watching myself and my sleep patterns or menstrual cycle and various shifts. It's like, what levers can I liberate or release? And maybe one of those is carb intake. Whereas when I can get myself into more of a mental, emotional balance state, then that's a lever that I can pull back down um, because the carbs really are a stimulus and a hormone regulator, if you will. Yep. So even things that are you know supportive of our body in theory, if you load on too many of them, that can be stressful to the body as well, like exercise and sauna and carb restriction. Yeah. And I mean, I think to really go further and nerd out just a tish sure. on this concept. Go for it. Um, you know, I think that this is where a study through, I believe it was the the Journal of Nutritional Metabolism, um, and this was published with uh, Jeff Volick uh, and as one of the authors, one of the three authors on here, and it's called Nutritional Ketosis and Mitohormesis, Potential Implications for Mitochondrial Function and Human Health. And um, it goes on to dig into a lot of biochemical pathways, um, including AMPK, uh, sirtuins, and it's understanding basically that there's this interface between the metabolic stimuli of nutritional ketosis and the downstream signaling that influence the expression of proteins related to bioenergetics and antioxidant defense. And so they unpack all of these sexy <laughs> compounds like FOXO3A and, you know, our NRF pathways, which are our nuclear respiratory factors. Um, and, you know, these are big energy regulators in the body and various mitochondrial transcription factors. And the paper comes in to conclude that nutritional ketosis can initiate 
that signaling through an increase in catecholamines or adiponectin, so catecholamines being our stress-responding compounds, so that's that idea of hormesis, right? So the fact that nutritional ketosis can actually kick up a stress response on a neurochemical reaction, or on adiponectin, which is what's going to regulate adipocyte or fat cell function in the body, a decrease of insulin or glycogen, so reducing the insulin demands by reducing carbohydrates or flushing out that glycogen storage and you know requiring ketone production, or through an increase of beta oxidation. And we know that that's how ketones are produced in the liver. Um, that one of these mechanisms, if not all of them in some way, shape, or form, will lead to an increase in the mitochondrial reactive oxygen species, or NAD+. And we know that, you know, really in the world of anti-aging, NAD plus and the NADH um, relationship is a huge rock to lift up. Um, and we know just overall that these said adaptations can collectively contribute to resistance against oxidative stress or enhanced antioxidant function. So what I think is interesting, and I just want to kind of call out is this idea that if we're using ketosis as a hormetic stressor, then one would argue that to get the best hormetic effects, we would want to be able to have adjustments to stimulate the system versus a linear standardized approach. So for instance, what I'm saying bringing this back full circle <laughs> is, you know, rather than following like a phase one chronic keto approach, actually doing some of these carb metabolic flexibility fluctuations or carb up or carb cycling is going to then when you go back into that restrictive state, have a heavier punch or imprint on these hormetic pathways, which should in turn also enhance the antioxidant production in the body. So a um, kind of drop in the bucket, like shaking things up a little bit versus staying static and eating the same keto macro controlled diet every single day. Yes. All right. I always think of um, the podcast we did with Paul and um, how he was like, keto isn't hormetic stressor. And I'm like, what? Yes, it is. <laughs> it uh, is though. But it is. <laughs> it just is. Anyway. He's great and so smart for so many things. Right, right. Um, but I mean, and, and that, that yeah. goes with my plant connection, right? Sure. So, you yeah. know, again, this this connection of uh, carnivore versus uh, having phytocompounds, we're talking about anti-nutrients as stressors. Uh, driving stimulus, you know, like consumption of turmeric increases your um, internal production of glutathione. So to me, that's a favorable, if you're making more endogenous antioxidant, even if there's anti-nutrient effect of the compound, the outcome is still more favorable for the consumer. Okay. So variety in the diet, variety in your macros, I think bottom line of all yeah, that. Don't get, yeah. don't get stagnant. Yeah. And um, that's why I think that we also should keep questioning, evolving, and, and pushing. And that'll be fun as we transition into meal plan talk because yeah. <laughs> we don't want to get in a rut in any way, shape, or form. Right. All right. Before we talk meal planning and give y'all some ideas to kind of bring this all home, let's just have a quick break for a word from our sponsor for this episode, NutriSense. Yes. So NutriSense 
provides continuous glucose monitor that will aid you with real-time glucose data. So each sensor lasts 14 days and you're able to use a phone app in conjunction with wearing your meter for two weeks. And when you scan it, you're able to enter in activities such as sleep, stress, exercise, as well as food logging. And this allows you to combine and visualize your glucose data in response to all of these said daily activities. The team over at NutriSense can then further provide you with personalized recommendations on how to improve and troubleshoot your health. So NutriSense essentially takes the guesswork from the equation out and you get personalized responses to food, stress, exercise, and sleep instead of a generic one-size-fits-all recommendation. You can purchase the CGM by visiting NutriSense.io, that's their website, and you can use the code AllieRD to get $30 off a monthly subscription plan, which I highly advise because this will give you the opportunity to wear at least two meters. So the first one, you kind of get that preliminary info, then you can speak with their team and troubleshoot and try it again and see if your adjustments stuck. What I love about a CGM is that, again, you're not cherry picking your data. You're not choosing just your halo meals or the ones that you think were good fits. And you're seeing things that you may have overlooked in your past, like the influence of your quality of sleep or the amount of hours of sleep and how that impacts your fasting glucose the following morning. And even your pre-fasted glucose, that hour before rising to see the impact of that dawn phenomenon and cortisol response. Um, I think that this is one of the most valuable diagnostics out there, and I don't say that lightly, um, just personally from what I've learned and playing with it with clients in my Naturally Nourished clinic. So I do recommend you go on over to NutriSense.io, use the code AllieRD, and let them know that you heard about uh, NutriSense through the Naturally Nourished podcast. All right, so let's go ahead and transition a little bit into meal prep and maybe talk about what we do in real time, real life in our own households. Yeah. And then maybe we can explore some like jags that we've fallen into sure, or, yeah. or recent things that were muse on some recent things that we're loving. Um, so generally speaking, my kind of weekly flow is Saturday is a soup, excuse me, Sunday. When I start my week, uh, Sunday is kind of like a super salad Sunday. And if I'm doing a salad as an entree, I'm probably getting a rotisserie chicken at the grocery store and deboning it right away. And that shredded chicken, like half of that will go into a salad and then the other half might be, um, you know, held on to make like a cold chicken salad with like a paleo mayo kind of thing or um, an olive oil and herb type of salad that I'll like throw on as a dense protein midweek for lunch. Uh, if I'm doing a soup, that whole roasted uh, chicken pulled meat goes into the soup right away as an easy thing. Um, and that same day on Sunday, I'll tend to do something that's like seared and slow cooked. So uh, I have short ribs um, now for this week coming up. Um, it might also look like a, you know, Boston butt roast or a shoulder or rump roast of sorts to do like carnitas or pot roast. Um, but I like that because I like Monday having kind of set up 
and the meal to be done when I'm wrapping up my work day. And I'll generally eat those leftovers then on Wednesday. So like Sunday is like the salad or soup as the entree. I'm using, generally speaking, frozen uh, bone broth in my soup. And then I might be starting another um, round. If I have an extra carcass, I'd be throwing my two rotisserie carcasses in and starting bone broth while in a separate stock pot making my soup or the salad in a bowl. And then again, the slow cooker is getting rocking. Um, and I generally, with my slow cooker, will try to add more veg than it calls for. And I'll add um, winter greens. We're in the winter season now. So like curly kale or lacinato kale or mustard greens or something fun like that towards the midday of Monday. So those things get kind of braised down and scooped um, as that entree. And then I'll break up the leftovers from that slow cooker doing Taco Tuesday, which is just fun. Um, and... I will rotate the proteins there, whether I'm doing my delightful fish tacos that are from the anti-anxiety diet, which use snapper or grouper um, and like an almond flour egg dredge, or I will do an easy taco um, incorporating grass-fed ground beef, or I will also potentially even use, depending on the amount of pounds of what was in the slow cooker, some of that shredded. So it could be like then the carnitas mm -hmm. go into the taco or the pot roast transitions into a taco and um, I use a siete tortilla or lettuce cup in that setting. Um, and then also I've just done like seared meats in a taco to mix it up. So I could do like a steak or chicken breast as well. And then the Wednesday would be the leftovers from the slow cooker. And then Thursday is generally like a ground meat. So this could be like burger patties or meatballs or meatloaf. Um, and this could be prepped maybe Wednesday night after I get Stella down because Wednesday I didn't have to cook. That was my leftover for my slow cooker. So I have time to do some of that stuff. And then uh, Friday and Saturday are generally like searing. Um, I tend to think of that as like more romantic meal prep. I don't know. And often like I'll do a fresh fish. So we'll do typically like two times a week of a grocery store run especially when we're trying to get fish in twice a week. Um, so this could be like a shrimp curry, or this could be, uh, I just did grouper recently, which is like slices of butter and fresh herbs. And then we roasted broccolini um, and uh, another veg in the oven. Um, this could also be like a ribeye, so pan seared on the cast iron, maybe finished in the oven, and then I'd be roasting maybe sweet potatoes and Brussels or something like that. And then one of those might be an out meal as well. Um, but that's kind of the flow for our weeknights in my household. I find that when I think in those types of matrix approach, most of my meat that I purchase is going to be through uh, like a CSA meat share um, or direct from my rancher. Uh, I, I love Yonder Way Farms. Um, I'll put a link to their website. And um, they're in the greater Texas area. I think they do ship now. They do. Everywhere, yeah, they ship everywhere. Yep. Yeah. So um, they have some of the most phenomenal pork. Um, so also in searing could be like a pork yeah, chop or so something good. like their that. Their pork chops, their pork steaks are really good. And their 
breakfast pork sausage also has made it into our rotation. Yes. Um, we'll do like a frittata where that's the um, additional protein in addition to the eggs in there. And it's so good. Yeah. I do their 10, they do 10 packs of, mm-hmm. um, so I think it's actually you get 11 because you get yep. like a free pound. Yep. Um, but I get a 10 pack of their grass fed ground beef. I also get a 10 pack of their organ blend. They have an organ blend with grass fed ground beef and then uh, of the pork breakfast sausage as well. And, you know, we just kind of rotate those through our deep freezer. And then the, through them is where I also get the like roasts or the um, shoulder mm-hmm. or some of these, you know, like five pound pieces of protein, whether it's from beef or pork. And then um, I use a local spot out here for our fish, if not getting that from farmer's market. And that kind of covers most of those staples. So when I'm thawing through the week, I'm kind of just like, you know, so Friday night is when I start to thaw my slow cooker thing for Sunday. And then it just kind of strategically like pulls from there. You're getting me inspired because uh, with a almost five month old, we don't do <laughs> as much meal planning as we used to in our household. And like, you know, a lot of the time we're flying by the seat of our pants and like quick thawing something, which is not ideal. <laughs> not ideal, but doable. And yep. I think we should uh, hit on eggs as well. Like yeah, that's my yeah, favorite yeah. recommendation yep. for when burned out and, um, you know, feeling like you don't have quote unquote anything to eat. Uh, I always love having an abundance of eggs because I'm using those in my baked goods, but eggs as an entree is totally a, a reasonable, awesome option. So like you said, that frittata would be delightful or doing like a scramble, um, you know, frying eggs and doing that over, um, or, or uh, I love like a perfect, a perfect, uh, soft boiled egg on a salad, mm-hmm. um, and like some crunchy bacon. That's always a great option, but, um, I think that they're a great go-to protein. And I would also say canned fish. Um, yeah. I'm a huge fan of canned fish and I try to at least have a can of fish a week uh, for a way for me to get two to three times a week of fish intake. Um, if I'm dining out probably 50% of the time, it's going to be either a grass fed burger or grass fed steak. Luckily in Texas, there are so many farm to table restaurants that feature grass fed meats. So that's really pretty doable for us. But the other majority of the time is a fish or a seafood option because, um, I just feel like that's a time where I can really take advantage of a restaurant flavor profile and, you know, just really good crisp skin and, um, great preparation, but I love to do fish, um, pan seared and oven finished. Um, I also think that if you're kind of new to fish preparation, doing it, um, on papier or in parchment paper or, um, in a nori sheet, um, in the case of salmon, you can, uh, take a nori sheet and take a bunch of fresh herbs with like some mustard and wasabi and an olive oil drizzle and fold that over and then bake it in the nori because that helps to like hold in the moisture mm-hmm. and a really nice texture as well as really like sealing in the flavor of those herbs, which I think can be really helpful as well. Yeah, it keeps you from having that dried out piece of fish that cooked too long or something. Yes. Um, and so if you're cast iron, um, uh, I was going to say phobic. I, I don't know if you're cast iron intimidated, uh, we should also link the YouTube video on yeah. care and management of your cast iron, because I feel like that's an essential tool. I, I, oh, I yeah. use my cast iron every single day, if not twice a day. Um, it's the, you know, most non-toxic non-stick pan out there and, um, also can provide you elemental iron, uh, which can be very supportive, especially a lot of women run low iron. I'm someone that's definitely had the history of that. And so that's an essential tool. 
Um, what are some other tips, Becky? What about, do we want to jive on maybe like breakfast yeah, and lunches? Yeah, I was say that. Sounds like we got dinner covered. Yeah, um, like a good variety there. Yeah, breakfast-wise, for me personally, um, I'm now eating breakfast probably between like my first two clients of the day. So like 10 a.m. or so, I'll have something to break my fast. Um, I'm still not eating like first thing in the morning. I've been doing um, recently the Kalina yogurts. Um, and mixing in some additional collagen to that, adding a little bit of like grain-free granola and berries, um, as one option, or that's kind of like the pre-breakfast breakfast sometimes. Um, and then I've been doing a lot of, of green smoothies, which I had stopped doing smoothies and shakes for a while there. I don't even know why. Um, I think it was that like postpartum don't eat cold foods. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of that Chinese traditional medicine recommendation. Um, but I've loved bringing back in, especially now that we're getting like more greens in our farm share, doing like a daily green smoothie, or maybe I got inspired by you. Cause I think you were doing that. I was, I was doing it really well. And then now that's kind of fallen off again. And I just did my micronutrients and I saw that, you know, serine was an area that was lower. And I think of that as uh, one of the b- best food sources for serine is grass-fed whey, and serine gets depleted from stress. Uh-huh. It's like hello, and then riboflavin, um, you know, B two. Also, we think of dairy as the best source, and so I just had Becky grab me at the farmers market. Also, some local grass-fed, low-heat processed Greek yogurt um, that I just love, and haven't really. It hasn't really come back into my diet. Stella eats yogurt a couple times a week, but I've kind of committed now to bringing back in yogurt and keeping that green smoothie as an option midday, like an extra meal Mm -hmm. um, that I wasn't giving myself. And so Brady's really good. I get at least two eggs a day because Brady's awesome at um, giving me like a scramble or a frittata or something. And he always incorporates some veg in there. So whether he sautés spinach or uh, pops cherry tomatoes in there or bell peppers or, um, you know, sautéed kale or you name it. Um, I'm always getting that, but that's typically at more of like a 1130. And so I'm trying to get something in a little bit earlier. I've been going for a lot of like my nut flour muffins that I've been making. I realize if I have those made that I'll eat that. Yep. And I think I'm going to try to establish the goal of getting a, at least like a quarter cup of Greek yogurt in. So maybe not like a full six ounces, but enough, you know, bites to get that um, focus for that nutrient and, you know, an extra dose of probiotics. And then um, the green smoothie, I'm kind of trying to aim to do around like 3 p.m. or so. Um, because often if I'm getting that egg taco, usually I'll have like a siete tortilla, an almond flour tortilla with that at some point. If that's at 1130, then before I was just going until 630 and not eating. Um, And so I'm now having a strategic like adult lunchable. Um, Or I've also been rocking a lot of bone broth based soups, which I'm really into as also a breakfast or a, a lunch midday snack thing. So having bone broth and then, um, you know, adding a protein in there with some non-starchy veggies, really easy on my digestive system, really great for like a stressful day in clinic. Um, and then usually if I'm doing like salad as an entree, that's like, if I have the luxury right. <laughs> to have lunch <laughs> with a girlfriend or, you know, like maybe on the weekend, that's when I would do a salad as a lunch. Otherwise that's really just a dinner thing. Otherwise I'm not in that parasympathetic, 
uh, restful state and it's just too much to like chew and swallow while I'm trying to manage the other moving pieces. Yeah. I was going to say that's often like when I do meal planning with the client, I'm like, oh, and we can stick a salad here and here for lunch. And then for myself, almost never. I know. <laughs> almost I know. never happens. It's really wild. It's got to be that dinner then. Yes. <laughs> And um, I think we can also link the Adult Lunchable yeah, uh, blog yeah. on here. It's just one of my favorites. Uh, just this idea of, again, you know, eating diverse proteins. So maybe it's as simple as like a pre-cooked quality chicken sausage, right? That you like heat up and you do with a half cup of uh, slaw or um, I was thinking kraut, yeah. um, the fermented form of cabbage, right? So maybe you do like a half cup of sauerkraut and then you're able to piece together a couple other like maybe half of a bell pepper with hummus Mm -hmm. or um you know some carrots and almond butter with that or um a quality again whether avocado or olive oil based mayo aioli kind of dip thing um i think that that having that kind of different salty briny flavor profile and something hot something cold something crunchy something smooth uh, tends to work really well for me where I feel like I'm getting a lot of abundance. It's easy to digest and break down. Um, and again, that's really where the, the bone broth soups have been an awesome delivery, but, um, the adult lunchables are, are also a great choice. Yep. Um, and yeah, having, I think like two to three staples of like breakfast, this is what I have for breakfast. This is what I have for lunch. And then dinner, maybe you can get a little bit more, um, creative where you incorporate like a new recipe every week within the categories that we talked about of like a braise, a ground meat. But I think two to three breakfasts, two to three lunches, is like a solid start. Yeah. And we always joke about this idea of, well, you have a different primer right now, which is great as far as maintaining like hunger with breastfeeding. I remember I was hungry. I was more hungry breastfeeding than pregnant. Um, and I mean, I think I gave myself indulgent permission during pregnancy because I was like, well with me, (laughs) right? but like physiological hunger of like, um, and you know, it shifts of course, uh, as you go through the breastfeeding process, but it does provide a lot of hunger cues. Whereas when I'm kind of living in a keto state, I'm looking at like our food goals, like you said, for clients, it's like, okay, two to three cups of leafy greens a day. Well, if I can't, if I know out loud that I cannot get a salad in, that means that I need to commit to a green smoothie at least three times a week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that means that microgreens might be a good delivery for me to ensure I purchase because I can get that nutrient density in less volume and throw that on my eggs um, or on my, you know, tuna salad type thing. And then, you know, two to three times a week, I need to commit to salad at once, once as salad as an entree and then a side salad or kale chips or, you know, a braised green. Um, and so when I think of kind of big picture goals, the two to three cups of leafy greens is one that I always try to strive for, but constantly I'm troubleshooting. So, you know, feel free to do that as well and think of the various delivery forms. And then I also think of some of the food as medicine goals from the 10-day detox, which if you're feed- feeling in a food rut, I would highly advise exploring that. You know, we're in like spring break time zone now, and um, tis the season to think of detox anyway. But um, the 10-day detox protocol really provides you in those two-day increments approaches of abundance and structural functional relationships with food that keep you motivated 
an understanding of like, oh, that's why I'm doing that Bragg's apple cider vinegar shooter in the morning. Um, or that's why I'm adding chia seed to this, or that's why I'm getting those fermented vegetables or the bone broth. When we break down the resetting your metabolism, restoring your optimal digestive status, and then renewing your cellular health, um, it really provides you with abundance of both food as medicine solutions and tools, but also abundance-based goals of, you know, can you get in an anti-inflammatory herb today? Can you get in um, ample soluble fiber? Are you getting in, you know, your at least minimum cup of cruciferous vegetables? Are you getting in berries? Uh, are you getting in citrus? And so I think it's a great way to just kind of use as a, a way of finding out what habits have fallen to the wayside, staying motivated and excited about the foods that you're eating, and there's really delicious recipes in the ebook. Um, so if you have not purchased the 10 day detox ebook yet, for those of you that are listening to this, we can do maybe like an ebook promo, Becky. How do you feel about that? I feel great about that. Okay. <laughs> so we can just call it what? Like, uh, how about podcast? Podcast uh, 21, because that's the year. I don't think we've used that code yet. Okay. That'll work. <laughs> Podcast 21, and we'll put it in the show notes. And um, you can get the uh, 10-day detox ebook for just $1.99. A great way to stay on track and, again, motivated with all of the food as medicine things. Yeah, I think that's that's great. And so many clients that it kind of fell off the, the wagon, if you will, um, and wanted to reset in January. I'm like, okay, you've done the detox before. Like, this is your homework. We build it in, you know, for you two to four times a year. So this is a great time to, to go ahead and do it. Yeah. And I mean, it's so funny, even the littlest things of like drinking all your water, you know, uh -huh. like when people have their ahas and they're like, oh my gosh, I realized that my energy's up this and that. I lost seven pounds. It's like, wow, it's amazing. What did you do? Well, I realized I wasn't getting my water in uh -huh. <laughs> or I realized I wasn't eating enough or I realized I totally forgot about probiotic rich foods or bone broth or XYZ. So I think it's, again, a really good way to just kind of reframe and stay on track. And then the only other resource I'll share as well, the Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook. Um, be mindful if you don't have a copy of that yet. I mean, that's 80 plus keto-friendly, food-as-medicine, gut-restoring, mood-stabilizing recipes uh, really have such great pride on that work. And within that purchase, there's also a URL you can go to, which has a two-week meal plan and pantry staples and so many other things. And then the last thing that we'll link in today's show notes is our Amazon store, uh, which also has you know favorite snacks and pantry staples. So a lot of the recipes on the blog will link back to you know our uh, favorite nori when I talked about the nori seaweed or you know miso or uh, favorite bars and um, products and things like that. So that's another great way to just stay inspired and see what Becky and I are eating. Yeah, awesome. So I think we've given a lot of really helpful. I always say tips and tricks. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> tips and tricks, guys. Um, but some helpful kind of staple meals that we use in our households, um, as well as some new kind of motivation on, you know, why keto uh, works and, and how you can explore your metabolic flexibility. If you love today's episode, please go on over to iTunes or wherever you listen and quickly leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences of why you love the Naturally Nourished podcast. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. 
Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.